All right, welcome to On The Ones, presented by Not With The Hype, of course. Uh, I'm Shaq, and I've got a very, very special guest today. And uh, this is the first time we're doing this, so like, it's going to be as casual as like our podcast is. And I hope it just comes out a whole lot more conversational than anything. I don't mean to label you, but I've got to, and I felt like you're probably one of the more difficult people to label. Uh, <laughs> poet, rapper, author. He's got two books, two books, one in the tuck. Uh, Everybody, welcome Humble the Poet to the pod. Thank you. Come on, welcome, 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 welcome. Um, welcome back to Toronto, actually. Thank you, thank you. Uh, I, I love it here. It's just, <laughs> it's like you, you come back and it's like it fills your heart, then yeah. instantly your heart sinks. It's like, oh, I love it here. Oh, I miss it here. <laughs> it's like, but yeah. I had to go, I had to go. Yeah, it's a quick trip, though. Yeah, it's a quick trip. You're just doing fun things. Yeah. Uh, how do you like LA? Um, I'm adjusting. How long have you been? A year. A year, okay. Yeah. And where, whereabouts in, in the city are you again? I'm in North Hollywood. Right, right. I think I do remember our conversation yeah. a little bit. And so how do you... it's, um, it's in the valley, so it's mm. even hotter. Yeah. So it's, it's like 40 every day. Yeah. It's like 29. No water anywhere. Yeah. First thing in the morning, super hot. I got a little puppy. Mm. So it's just like my, a lot of my life is based around burning her energy <laughs> and keeping her occupied. Yeah, yeah. Like get up extra early because it's too hot for her to be out during the day. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's a it's LA is an interesting place. It's so LA is the only city I've ever been to that doesn't have a center. That's what I find so weird. Like there's yeah. downtown LA, but you don't necessarily want to be sad. there. Like it's yeah. not. Yeah, you go there to watch a, a, a Lakers game. Yeah, you don't go to the live. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And 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 things aren't like popping out there. Like yeah, you know, like where we are right now could be considered the center of the city. Yeah. Good. CN Tower kind of is like an informal middle. Exactly. And everything in that radius, you know, anything major is going to happen is going to happen in this radius. And like, that's not LA. Yeah. So everything's 45 minutes to an hour away. Everybody's so spread out. Are you driving out there? I am now. It's the first time, <laughs> first time I've owned a car in like oh, wow. 12 years. Yeah. Where were you in, uh, in, in Toronto when you I were I was in there? Regent Park. Regent Park. Okay. Yeah. So you didn't even really necessarily need to. No, I was, I was walking. <laughs> first, I, First, I was a broke artist. So I couldn't afford a car. And then when I started living yeah. uh, downtown, you don't need a car. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned being an artist. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to start there and play a little quick icebreaker game. Right. Uh, maybe it'll get a smile on both of our faces. Maybe we're just both good at what we do, and I might be an artist and I didn't know about it. Um, I don't know if you've ever drew something just completely from memory before. No. Like, I, I played this game one time, and basically somebody was like, Mickey Mouse. Everybody draw Mickey Mouse from memory. Sure. That shit was funny. Yeah. Like, mine had, like, claws and teeth, and he looked like a demon. And then I looked, I was like, oh, that was so awful. Oh, you actually thought that's what Mickey Mouse looked it, like? To my memory, yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah, it was wrong. Yeah. I want to play that game today. All right. That's why there's that right there for you. Okay. You've got multiple sticky notes so you can mess up All right. and try again. I don't even know what we're going to draw. Okay. I, and I want us to both describe each other's. Because it's also going to be available via audio, so we got to give them something to see what's going on. Oh, okay. So you're going to like give me a note. When they're going to tell us what to, what we should be drawing. Okay. Coco, what are we drawing? Uh, we're going Tommy from Rugrats. Ooh, that's a good one. You know Rugrats, right? Yeah. All right, just making sure. He's the, the main baby. Yeah. 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 Oh my God, I see him in my head, but that's not. Okay. I, I'm every type of artist except for visual. <laughs> That's no, what I, I said. I'm like, I'm not sure. sure if he draws, but he does I everything else. <laughs> everything else except for that. Okay. 
I see his face in my head. His head was very lumpy. I do remember that. I think I'm killing it already. Yeah, like. Never mind, he looks like a monster. It's like a big ass head. <laughs> Skinny <laughs> ass neck. I feel like I'm drawing half him, half Chucky. Oh man, Chucky's the easy one to remember. I yeah. fully see Tommy in my head. I fully see it, but that's that, that's it. It's just staying in there. I don't know how to get that out. I got it. Are you done already? I'm done. Okay, hold on. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll trade and then we can describe. Oh shit! <laughs> this is not really bad. Good. Really good. <laughs> so this guy's got the the the. I can see the hairs, right? Yeah. It's kind of yours is floating. Yeah. But the head is shaped kind of like a football. Your your Tommy's sad. Actually, kind of like he's got his arms out like this, like he's pissed, like he's he, yeah. And then uh, I'm assuming your T-shirt was gonna go into some Pampers. I'm I'm a guess at the yeah. I remember he had a T-shirt yeah. and Pampers. Yeah. I'm trying to remember if the T-shirt was oversized or not. There you go. That's what that's what he looked like right there. I just remember him having like a, a wide <laughs> wide head. Yeah, I see him. I see him. What um, I got? What do you see over there, oh my so <laughs> Did I kill it? Did I kill it? <laughs> I mean, you got the outfit down packed, and you got the hairs. Um, you got the hair perfectly. I don't know if that's, those are eyelashes or that's just a mistake. It's just, it's just, um, it's just, it's thick penmanship. I feel like where we differ is in the shape of the head. So yeah. you gave him a more traditional human round head with traditional ears. Traditional human. Yeah, traditional human. And then, and the fit. So I'm trying to remember him as wearing oversized yeah. clothes and you kind of got him like everything's fit. But I do remember him, his t-shirt and, and diaper. I tried to get the one tooth. Was it these? Oh, he had a tooth. I think he had like a couple tooth. He was major gums, though. He was major gums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, yeah. he had a wide gum. face, yeah. yeah. I mean, I tried to get the lumpiness in the head. It was like very lumpy from what I recall. Yeah, I would like to I would like to see the reference now. <laughs> yeah, do we have a real one? Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> That's a really interesting thing, though, because it's like I could see him in my head and I still couldn't make it happen. Yeah, yeah. It's so when you don't have the reference or you didn't just see him. What do we got? Just make some weird shit. <laughs> Pikachu. That's a funny one. <laughs> it's like it's like I see him, but I just can't like. It's also like trying to remember the details of the eyes. I don't know. Well, she's gonna look crazy. Does Pikachu have a mohawk? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. This is also not my. I'm, like I know who Pikachu is, but I don't. You, you I don't know him like I know Tommy. Yeah, yeah. You. I know Tommy's essence. Pikachu, I don't know him, but... You didn't go back in the day with Ash? Like, you didn't know Ash Ketchum like that? No, no. <laughs> All right. Oh, you stay killing it. <laughs> I mean, okay, you we got We only the, got the tail right. I got the tail I was scared. Let's see, with you, you, did you start with the, the ears first, too? Yeah. I was scared that it was going to look like Batman. Yeah. And the top ears. started as like a Batman, but then the tail saves it. Uh, I think I tried to, with mine, I tried to get the cheeks because I knew the red, there's red cheeks. It's red cheeks. Yeah. It's different styles of art. No, his style. is like, he, he, he sees it. <laughs> Mine's just like the essence. <laughs> so, um, that was fun. Uh, yeah. I think I'm going to play that game like all the time whenever I'm drinking with people. That might be a new like get the party started game. I think it's really it's a yeah. really clever game. Yeah. Um, we talked about like uh, labels and I, I said, okay, you're a poet, rapper, author. How do you feel about labels? Do you feel like they're li limiting? 
I mean, they're not the most limiting thing in the world. You know, there's, there's way more things that are limiting, but um, yeah, I don't think they're at this point they're necessary. I think everybody's a slashy. Like everybody is this slash that slash. Everyone is that yeah. at this point. So how would you describe yourself? At this point, I say artist. Just artist. Professional weirdo, um, or bringing ideas to life. Mm. Just, yeah. Did you always feel like a weirdo? <laughs> not to get my Barbara Walters on now, but. Um, yeah, it, it was it was really interesting because I'm like yesterday at an event I met a dude who was one of my first mentors back mm. in school and he was like a party promoter and he like hired me to like help throw parties back in the days like the Richmond Adelaide Club days. Oh, when Richmond was yeah. the epicenter, not King Street. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> King Street is where like yeah. rich people partied on a Monday. Yeah, but it was Adelaide and Richmond back then for for the weekend. Yeah, and I used to like hand out flyers, do all that stuff for him. Wow. I remember one, and he said it to me back then. He was like, look, you are very unique, and I'm not even saying that's a compliment. He's like, you think about things that people your age aren't thinking about. You're doing things that people mm-hmm. your age aren't thinking about or doing. Um, and I think I always kept that. So it, it wasn't that I, I, I felt like I didn't fit in. I just realized, like, okay, I'm, my interests are different. My, my approach to things are different. And as I got older, I became more cognizant of why. Like, yeah. looking at my upbringing, my household, how it was. Um, like, my, my dad watches a gang of tv but he's only watching the news or documentaries mm. like legit like it's from childhood all the way up to all i was watching with him if he was in the room yeah. so that creates a level of in- informedness you know and then going to someone else's house their parents are watching like reality shows or something like that so i think these are things that really stood out to me quickly yeah. and i think there's a chase chase of depth and i think there's just a chase of like deconstructing things, taking things and just breaking it down. And you were like 19, 20 when this was happening? Or were you like one of those young 17. kids doing the... Doing I, was, the I, I went to... Uni- yeah. I, was, I was 17 at university. Yeah, so I was like yeah, 17, 18. Um, yeah, I was promoting parties before I could get in. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and it was like trying to... Like, I think me and a friend threw a party and then he was the big cat out here throwing mm-hmm. parties, mm-hmm. took me under his wing really just needed me to hand out flyers. That was the thing back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just stood on the corner and handed out flyers. I had friends in high school that were doing that. It blew yeah. my mind because I, so, I was just basketball and I didn't know anything. I couldn't yeah. even go to, I didn't really go to house parties. So yeah. to hear people my age going to Richmond yeah. was blowing my mind. Yeah, Running into high school teachers and shit in the clubs. Yo, yeah. yo that's the thing. <laughs> I remember like doing, we threw a party that had Jagged Edge. The first time I ever like wow. saw a famous person. <laughs> I just remember all you know what I mean, and, like tearing and then like tearing a, a paper off a wall yeah. and getting them to sign it for like this girl I liked. Like it was wow. just, it was a whole different That's thing. Amazing. Yeah, and that's then, resourcefulness like, though. Yeah, it was but yeah, it was bananas back then. But mm-hmm. I remember him saying that about being unique. And I think for me, I always realized I think it's just really wanting the depth of something, and I mm-hmm. want to explore an idea more than I want to talk about people or events yeah. or gossip and stuff like that. I still, you know, I'm, I'm still down to do all of that yeah. and, you know, geek out on hip hop or geek out on lyrics and geek out on stuff like that. So I think that that's one of the b- big things. And then once you break these things down, you want to share it. And I think yeah. that that's really kind of what led me to where I'm at. So in terms of like your, your earlier years, like we're talking about like when you're 17 or whatever, let's go back even further. Like, yeah. was it like a very traditional upbringing? Like were your parents like very strict and on you about what you do, who, who you're going to go see, your studies, like all that kind of stuff. And like, cause I know you being an artist, like any, any household has their yeah. struggles or, or their family 
coming to grasp like what you're doing because you yeah. started big on YouTube and that yeah. was never done before. Yeah. So they had no reference point for that. So yeah. I can only imagine what you went. Through. I mean, and it's also YouTube don't mean you, gotta, you don't have to leave the house, right? To that <laughs> no too, right? But I think I have, I have two older sisters and and my oldest sister she's a rebel in every capacity. Mm-hmm. So you know, I'm I'm like the third iteration of the rebel. Right. At that point, because these two sisters. So they already. softened up by the time it was you? They saw, and then my sisters were like, you know, in, 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 in Punjabi culture, there's definitely preference towards, preferential, preferential treatment towards the boy. Mm-hmm. So I remember, like, my sister was fighting her battles when she was in high school and I was still in elementary school. Wow. And she'd be like, wait till he gets older. He's going to want to go out. He's going to want to do all this. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sitting there at this point, like, just want to ride my bike outside. Yeah. But she was right. You know, she knew what was gonna what was coming by the time I'm 17, 18. I'm yeah. trying to get into these clubs and do all that. Well, that's why she was saying that. Yeah, yeah so yeah. she set it up, and I think I think she she broke down a lot of doors from that context, and then kind of realizing I still used to get in trouble. I just you know sleep in the backyard a few times. I got locked out of the house. And, yeah, but nothing crazy, and I wasn't doing anything crazy. I was just going out. I wasn't mm-hmm. coming home drunk or doing anything crazy like that. So they're cool with the promoting. They didn't know. So what were you doing? What, what was your alibi? I attend events. I just say, I call them events. <laughs> if a 17-year-old comes to you and says, listen, I got to go attend events. I was in school, too. I was, so I was in university at that point. So I feel okay. like that was okay, the other true, thing. Yeah. True. And I was working. I had, I, had a, I, had a, I had a really cool job, too, back then, like a day job. Mm-hmm. So it was, a, it was a whole, I think I was, I was doing enough. I had a car back then, too. I, had, I bought this $800 car. Nice. And it was this ghetto-ass Plymouth Sundance. Oh, man. Yeah. But yeah, I, and the most expensive thing in the car was my like detachable face CD player. I was about to say it had to be the sound. It had to be the yeah, 100%. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think with that, you know, there's I think there's just kind of a recognition that like this all of our kids are going to do what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Like nothing has seemed to stop the first two. Yeah, and that was uh, the relationship you had your, with your with your yeah, parents. Yeah, exactly. And then <laughs> I think at, and, and at the best, it was more like get out of his way. There's, yeah. You know, they, they they don't know how to support, you know, so their 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 best way of supporting was just like staying out of the way, letting me do so, me. So when did you start going by humble? I used to battle rap, and uh, I used to do um, I used to I used to online battle raps too, and then in one and, and they used to have these tournaments, and then so my 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 screen name and all that back then was just humble, and then and screen name. What platform are we talking? This about? was. I think this one was like Stankonia. Like Outcast had their own, or it was like an unofficial oh, Outcast. Oh wow! One. It was That's a heavy. Crazy. It was heavy. Yeah, so you used to like submit audio recordings and yeah. battle that way. Sometimes it was text battled that way. Text battles. Yeah, it was. It was interesting because you could like bold, italicize, do all of that. <laughs> and there were judges that was really, you know, and then and then hold the punchline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also like the themes and the letters. Um, yeah, I remember, and, and, wow. and back, and it was like super disrespectful. So I think what, <laughs> yeah, I remember. So what? So it was humble, and then it was this big tournament, and then you know, and then you know, people's filler lines are always about how they're the best MCs, they're the best rapper. So my line was like, "Fuck you, rappers, you MCs. I'm a poet." Mm. And then I won the whole tournament, so I beat like four people, won, and then to rub it in, I changed my name to Humble the Poet. So that's what it was. <laughs> it was nothing humble about it. And then, like, maybe fast forward, like, a year or two later, I'm in, like, some dude's basement recording against a mattress for, like, the first or second time ever. That's crazy. And um, what ended up happening was um, they're like, yo, you have a rap name? And I was like, I was thinking Humble the Poet. They're like, that's so stupid. Everyone was <laughs> hating on it. Yeah. And I was like, well, fuck all y'all. I'm keeping yeah. it. 
That's yeah. really what it was. It was all spite at that point. I didn't know where it was going to go like, <laughs> at this point. I'm literally in, like, some dude's, yeah, some little basement. There was no foresight in what you were doing. Yeah. No, you don't. You don't have yeah. it. And I remember even somebody said it. This is like early social media days. Yeah. Somebody said it. They go, that the, the handle's too long. Like, you want a shorter name. Somebody, like, people were hating, saying it was stupid, but then somebody actually Twitter, said that. Or is it or early Instagram? Maybe, maybe MySpace. I don't even know. But My it was just, like, something. It was Facebook, maybe. It was something in, the, in, in that space. Um, as long as you didn't have any, like, underscores and stuff in between it. They were just like, it's too long. Huh. And I was thinking about that. And um, I remember it being really long. And then also, like, yeah, like, the idea, like, how humble is it to call yourself humble? Mm. You know, like that's, mm. that's not something I'm thinking about mm. at that time. And also, from the battle rap perspective, and humble is also a verb. You can humble somebody. Yeah. So these are the things I'm thinking when I'm using this. I'm thinking like you know, like like Uncle Murder. Like like murder can be it's two different things. Yeah, you commit yeah, yeah. a murder, or there you know there is there, there is a murder, something like that. And I was thinking about that. I'll, you know, and this is back then when things were way more aggressive. And yeah. Like you're just listening to, either you're listening to like. Like the Dungeon Family, Outkast, Goody Mob, that was your Southern rap back then, and then yeah. or it was just hardcore New York shit. So th- that's where all my references were. So that's kind of that's how the name came to be. Do you still feel like it's too long? I mean, we got Megan the Stallion. We got people with long like names. No, I there. mean, I, I do think you know now there's a there's a whole bunch of like like their name the something like Tyler yeah, yeah, yeah. Creator, creator yeah. which I think is cool and I, I always start to think like that's like or like J well J Rue the damager was from before but there's a lot of that so I think that's really it ends up being super cool I think going back to labels like yeah. calling yourself a poet when that's the least thing I'm popular for <laughs> is, is poetry <laughs> yeah. even though it's, that's I that's do like, I, yeah. I, I start even before rap it was spoken with poetry so like, yeah. I, you know I get busy but that's the you know the irony of it all and then if I tell somebody who doesn't know me I have a book, oh, is it a poetry book? You know, mm. like Rupi Kaur? And I was like, no, I don't, I don't write poetry in the books. Do, do, <laughs> do, do, do you have a, a relationship with uh, Mustafa the Poet? Yeah. Also from Regent yeah, Park? Yeah, that was the thing too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, not, I'm from Rexdale. Oh, I moved, Rexdale. I'm you from moved. Rexdale. I moved to Regent Park. I was already setting up in LA when, when the pandemic hit. Okay. So then when, when the pandemic and it came back to Toronto. And that's where you were. Then I moved to oh, okay. Regent Park. So you're a Rexdale guy. Yeah, I'm Rexdale. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm Re- and I needed to be around that type of energy, so I moved to Regent Park. Yeah. But it's gentrified now, so it's a different it's a different it's a Yeah, different but you, you, you know humble or uh, uh I know Mustafa the Pope. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's dope too. He's he, he's yeah one of the best things that has ever come out of the city. Yeah, I love yeah. the juxtaposition the way he like that voice. That voice. And then you the videos and you have like bulletproof vests and ski masks, but like it's the voice. I just like, I just had a production yeah. meeting with some dudes in India and the question they were asking was like how do you differentiate like Toronto from New York? And I just mm. showed them all the Mustafa videos. I was like, This is how you juggle like, Absolutely. This is exactly like you know, this Absolutely. is a guy whose heart and everything feels feels a certain way but like he's still heavily involved in the politics of the neighborhood yeah doing all of that he's showing you the gentrification like this is what and everybody's coming here from somewhere else mm. and they are not required in any way shape or form to um assimilate there's nothing to assimilate to yeah yeah, yeah, yeah exactly there is no canadian culture like you know with that we get like Amer- in america everyone is rewarded for assimilating there is an american culture we don't have that here Mm. You know, when we think Canadian, Canadian culture, we'll think of like, oh, the middle of Canada or like Halifax or something like. Yeah, if somebody's asking me what's genuinely Canadian, like I, 
Yeah. Something we're, like we're that. We're from Toronto. Yeah. We have Toronto culture. Yeah. We have like hate on pizza pizza till it's one in the morning. The pizza pizza is the best. That's thing got. Toronto culture, actually. Yeah. Hate on it till it's one a.m. Yeah. <laughs> what we got? <laughs> I was no literally. Like, I was literally at an event yesterday, and the security were police officers, and that was the conversation. What's the best pizza in the city? Yeah. And one's like pizza nova, pizza nova. I was like, pizza oh. nova don't take care of you at one in the morning. No, they don't. No, they and he's don't. like, but pizza, pizza tastes like cardboard. Like I didn't say they don't taste like cardboard, <laughs> but, but they take care of you at one in the morning. <laughs> and I'm like, you're a cop. You get, you, you work late. He's like, you're right. <laughs> yeah. he's like, no. He's like, you're right. Pizza, pizza's always been there. Man, I used to do the triple cheese pizza. It was so excessive. It's, it's but like, ridiculous. It was, yeah. It, it got rid of it's, the cardboard. For but me. that that's what yeah. Toronto culture is. It's for like real. knowing those or not pronouncing the T. You don't say Toronto, right? I'm bad with it. I say it. I enunciate it, and I've lived here yeah. my entire life. Toronto. That's so interesting. But that's why people. But where are you probably, from? Where are you from? I grew up in Jane and Finch area till I was 13. Moved to Richmond Hill, and I was there up until. I mean, recently. I'm not I'm not Richmond Hill, but that. What are you gonna say? No, I'm just saying. You learn how to enunciate. In Hill. <laughs> 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 Ain't nobody Fair. in Jane and Finch saying Toronto. Word. Toronto. Word. They're so, probably not even saying Toronto. I don't even know what they what they call it. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Do people say the six now anymore? Like, or for like who actually live here for real? Do like, I think I don't think so. I don't, I don't think, think anybody. I always hear that from Americans. Like, oh, you're from the I six. I would throw that up. Anytime anybody tried to force that down my throat, I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Only recently. I, I won't say it, but I'll allow it. Like, yeah, it's, no, I, think, I think we're more of the cardinal generation of like T-Dot. Or T-Dot. Like, Screwface or whatever. Like. I think I just say it for what it is, Toronto. Because like, I remember growing up and you're traveling abroad and you say, where are you from? You have to say Canada because nobody knows where you're yeah. from. Now I can say like Not exactly old. Toronto, yeah. I can say Toronto and they're like, oh, you know Drake or whatever. Yeah. That's usually what they say right after. Before but, yeah. Drake was Vince Carter. Yeah, that was my only point of reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Sad, like, but isn't that America? You know the re- yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned that uh, you 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 listen to Dungeon Family. Like, what what is yeah. who's a, who does Humble the poet listen to? I grew up on Outkast and Lauryn yeah. Hill. Those are the super heavy ones. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Wyclef had a song called Gunpowder on the on the Carnival album. That was the first time I ever heard anything with like a social, socially conscious vibe to it. In yeah, music. You know, before that, you heard some religious music. Everybody's album had like a religious song or something like that. But that mm-hmm. was like the first like just soulful kind of joint. Um, and then through Outkast, you discover the rest of the Dungeon Family. So Goody mm-hmm. Mob, was, I was really heavy on Goody Mob. Um, then I got heavy on the Ruckus. So like you know, Most Def, Talib Kweli, yeah, Pharrell Monch, you know everything that they were doing. And then through them, you discover Dead Prez. So I was listening to a lot of Dead Prez, Common, Erica Badu, um, and then. And then in, t- in terms of like more mainstream stuff back then, it was like Tupac. Mm. Um, I'm noticing a, a trend here. It seems like everybody's of substance, or at least what they got to speak about. I, it wasn't, yeah. I think back when I was young, like it, it, it wasn't hitting. Maybe, and, and again, I wasn't partying a lot, so maybe that's what it was. I think mm. I, like now I understand party music is an anthem for a party. So you have more of a balance to what you're going to... Yeah, now, I mean, I'm, if I'm, we're turning up, listen to turn up music. I yeah, think yeah, back yeah. then, because I wasn't partying, I thought... I'm listening to someone telling me that they're partying. And that's funny and because that's not you, what it is. you're standing outside the doors, you know, giving people flyers and stuff, and you're like, yeah. I don't go inside, though. Yeah, well, yeah, and then when I started <laughs> going inside, it all started making sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I realized that. So, like, you know, whether it's, like, black eyed peas, tonight's going to be a good night. I'm realizing they're not telling me about their night. That's what we sing mm. when we're, like, pre-drinking or whatever. I'm, I, I started realizing that. So, for me, it really was hearing, like, Andre 3000 because he was talking to me. Where I was learning and absorbing something from it. Yeah. So, I think that that's what it was in the beginning. And then I was also not, I don't know, I feel like where I went to school in Rexdale, it was, like, 
have nice things, get nice things taken. So the, mm-hmm. even though the flashiness of hip hop, that mm-hmm. stuff didn't really connect. It was like, mm-hmm. I didn't see, any, I mean, I didn't even see the drug dealers rocking nice stuff. Mm. Like it wasn't, it was like accurate, like the drug dealers in Rex were like accurate Vigors, you know what I mean? Like it oh wasn't, it wasn't Bentleys and Benzes yeah, yeah. and stuff. Vigors and Integros. It was having a car made you rich mm. back then. You know, or having having yeah, having a car and putting rims on it had made you rich. Yeah, it was, it was never a nice car. Yeah, yeah, it was just yeah, a yeah. it was a it was a car that everybody that your mom could have it could have been a Camry and then they just souped it up. So I think <laughs> so a lot of it just didn't connect until later. Yeah, and um, yeah, I feel like even now, like you know, as I'm older, I feel like I, I probably connect a little bit more to that stuff, like the resilience of it, the celebration of it. Mm-hmm. You know. Cause you, cause you, I think it's a little, a little bit more of a connection, like working your ass off. The hustle music and you can't yeah. gate stuff. You know what I mean? Like, cause I work my ass off now. And you I like that stuff, motivational that. stuff. Yeah. yeah, it all it makes a lot more. You know, Jeezy makes a lot more sense. And I think back then I, I didn't. Was literally see about that. to say Thug Motivation. Yeah, 101. Thug Motivation yeah. One Hundred and One. But yeah. I think back then, cause I used to be a school teacher as well. And back then, that's you when used the, to be a teacher. Yeah, I used to be a school teacher in, in Rexdale. I used to teach in Rexdale. That's what I was doing first. Uh, elementary school or yeah, elementary. I started like oh. little uh, third grade, so like eight year olds. Wow. Yeah, and then some of those kids were coming in the G- in the Jeezy Snowman shirt. Yo, that band that got banned, and I wanted it so. Bad. I wanted it banned. <laughs> I'm like, yo, these kids. You are, wanted it banned? I'm a, these like eight year old kids, man. Like wearing. I guess so, because uh, to me the context. I mean, I understood kind of. It's different, but like. I, I might have been at the time, fifteen. Yeah. So to me, I'm like, yeah, I get what he means by snowman, but like, yeah. I thought he was more clever than the teachers were. And yeah, so no. it's like, yeah, let me get this angry snowman T-shirt off. But he, like, he's more clever than like the older Caucasian T-shirt. Yeah. He's yeah. more clever than me. And yeah. I was like, and, and the other thing too was I was already like I was part of an initi- like, like a, a male teacher initiative, recognizing that the kids that I was teaching didn't have access to positive male role models. Mm. So it would just be like, all right, who in your definition is a real man? Kids be like Rick Ross, the game. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm a fan, but I don't. You they're know, not the. They're role not models. my primary yeah. source of education on what a man is, and, yeah. and I, we have to do stuff like I used to have to like lie to the kids and tell them I was afraid of spiders to show them what like a, a vulnerable man looks like. Oh, wow. Like we were trying to counter this idea of alpha because they looked up to me as a teacher. Mm. So now I have to counter this alpha male. Uh, this heavy alpha male kind of thing that they see in the media. Yeah. They're saying like, yeah, you know, I'm afraid of spiders. I'm afraid of heights. Yeah. And so even stuff, even if I wasn't, I just had to say all that stuff. Or I cry over, you know, watching The Little Mermaid. You just say these things to, to, to normalize it for them. Because yeah. that was such an initiative because these kids are growing up. You but know, did you cry watching The Little Mermaid? It's no, fine. I haven't even seen The Little Mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> I stay away from Disney stuff. Though. I mean, New Disney's pretty good, but that old yeah, Disney yeah, yeah. is not. Um, yeah, so I, I actually was talking about breaking uh, generational trauma mm. and like a lot of these, like you mentioned, like heteronorms that we yeah. were supposed to like man up and things like this, like in your content, in your books, I, I've seen you like speak about some of these things and like, is this something you kind of take on your back as part of like something that you hope to rewrite or at least have some people rethink? I mean, I think... I- the challenge is like whenever you take a position, and you know, collective consciousness has to has to reduce that down to either you're this or you're that. Either you think all masculinity is toxic, yeah. or you think it's not, and you're part of the, the the movement to like turn men into women or, or some shit like that. And I'm not for any of that. As I said, like growing, I, I think what I recognized was growing up where I grew up taught me how to conduct myself mm-hmm. where I grew up. And then very slowly, as I entered a different world, whether it was a career, um, a different neighborhood, 
a lot of those tools and strategies that helped me get through high yeah. school or whatever, they weren't serving me no more. You know, you don't have to put on a front so people don't test you. You don't have to protect your stuff. You don't have to do half the things yeah. that were necessary back then. But the problem is, and this is one of the def- one of the reasons people have trauma is because they experienced something when they were young. They create a coping mechanism for it, and it's just trial and error at that point. Mm-hmm. And they're like, whether between like eight to twelve, and then they never upgrade their software, and they stick to that. You know, like someone disrespects you when you were young, maybe that means you hit them, but you can't. Yeah. Now the definition of disrespect doesn't change, right? And now maybe you're in the office and someone disrespects you. That yeah. is hitting them will not lead, will not be good for you or anybody that yeah, yeah, requires yeah. your income. Yeah. So it's like we have to constantly upgrade our software and be like, all right, I'm in a different situation. This stuff doesn't apply anymore. But mm. when you're so young, it, it, it can put you in autopilot. Yeah, you know? yeah. And there's been times where I've said like, just just in conversation, someone like, get the fuck out of here. Which maybe if me and you were having a conversation, you understand I'm not telling you to go <laughs> anywhere. You know, and I've yeah. had that. Even being downtown and yeah. just being around different people out here and saying certain things and they don't they don't they don't understand the energy. They think loud volume is anger or whatever. And right. I think I also had to learn different ideas of like the difference between being assertive and aggressive. You know, I think when we're younger, the you the think it's one and the same, yeah. You think it's and then you think that's how you, you get women. Mm. You know, yeah, women appreciate assertiveness. You know, take take you know, put yourself out there. They, right. they don't necessarily uh, they don't aggressive, man. Yeah. But even when they're young, they don't know they, the difference. They don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, even and, and then they can be subtly encouraging you to be more aggressive. Mm. You know, because that's what they grew up around. And I mean, and I've st- and I've seen that all the way up to going to parties now. Yeah, you know, going to parties now, and if I meet somebody. I mean, I think like last summer when I was still here, I met a girl from Jane and Finch, and it was so much easier to have a dialogue with her because mm. we spoke the same language from the same type of place. Right. She wasn't overreading into anything I was doing or saying, you know. And I think that when it comes to the, these traumas, I think that's one of the big things that it is. Is like we experience a lot of challenging things when we're young and don't understand yeah. the world, and we just scramble to try our best to, to address it, and with a limited tool bag. And then as we get older, we don't update that. So how, how do you encourage people to update their software? <laughs> Self-awareness is your <laughs> salvation. Self-awareness yeah. is the religion everybody needs yeah. to practice. And I mean, I personally think therapy would be great. I mm-hmm. understand therapy is expensive and not accessible to everybody. At the very least, get your thoughts out of your head. Yeah. Write in a journal. Uh, it's proven that if you take a very traumatic experience, no matter how bad it is, and you write it, in as much detail as possible mm-hmm. multiple times, like over multiple days, it will actually uh, reduce the impact that that trauma has on you. Because we, um, even if we don't know about our trauma, we feel it. It's true. Yeah. I, I, honestly, when you say journaling, like I've heard of that as like yeah. a, a, a mechanism that's very fruitful, but I honestly, like I've never tried it, so I can't imagine like what it can actually. I guess the, the, the way I look at it is like <laughs> one of the definitions of anxiety is literally a repeated thought. Right. So like they've done, they've done, uh, you know, like brain scans of people and they'll have the exact same kind of spike 70 times in a day. They're thinking of the same thing. Like a worry is just having the same thought play oh, over shit. and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Right. The challenge is just just like this activity where I'm trying to draw somebody I can perfectly see in my head. Our thoughts are fractured. They're not complete. Right. Right. But we're feeling the thought, but we're not even hearing the thought. 
just the simple idea of saying it out loud will bring it to the light and it disinfects it. It takes its edge off. It takes its intensity off. Writing it down, like there have been three days ago, I was overwhelmed. Well, I have so much to do. Just making a list. I agree with that. Immediately, the stress goes down, and then you're also agree. like, oh, wait, it's not actually a lot. They're like, am I forgetting something? And then you sit there and think about it. But then you get it all off you. Yeah. And it's no longer repeating a cycle in your head because now you're putting on paper. So journaling is very valuable from that standpoint. I journaling and praying. Praying mm-hmm. might be even better. And the reason praying is good, irrespective of your beliefs, mm-hmm. praying is the only time we're going to be completely honest about what we want and what we're grateful for. Because mm-hmm. no one's listening. So now you become more aware. Like, what are you actually thinking your maker, your algorithm, your God, for whatever your beliefs are, you just spend, because everyone prays in private. Right. It's just so, a one-on-one with whoever you're... Yeah. yeah. So it's not performative. Yeah. So you may not be saying thank you for my family. You may be saying thank you for this check. Thank yeah. Thank you for whatever. It helps you reveal what matters to you. Mm-hmm. And then also what you ask for helps reveal what matters to you. And, and if you do it out loud, it, you bring it to the light, and then that improves your self-awareness and helps you pick up on your patterns. And that oh. does a lot... Because the issue isn't the stress and the anxiety, because we all have that, mm-hmm. because life is going to be hard. The issue is what we do to suppress it, right? what we do to try to make those thoughts go away. So wow. instead of addressing it and journaling it, we might take a shot to numb it. Yeah. That's only temporary. Yeah. Right? And we might distract ourselves on our phone. You just made me realize that I've been journaling and haven't realized it. Like I, uh, if, you, if you see like where, where I sit and I work yeah. or my office... I have all these sticky notes. Yeah. I'll write different things there. I'll yeah. be like, yo, you're that guy. Don't forget you're him. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll be like, don't, don't stress. Like different affirmations. Mm-hmm. I'm writing these things yeah. so that I can just look to this wall. And like, I do feel better when I do that. Yeah. But visit the dark shit too. Mm. Like get, get as dark as possible. Whatever you're saying. As in like write it out. Like Write it, like bring it to the light. Yeah, write it all out. Mm. And, and, and this is clinically proven. If you do like people with the worst trauma, like, like, like immediate trauma, like car accidents, robberies, crimes, whatever, stop yeah. murder, anything, writing it out repeatedly, 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 it, it will reduce its emotional impact on you. Hmm. I'm not saying it'll make it go away. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it, but it'll reduce yeah, the... We're, yeah, we're, like I recently had somebody reveal to me that they're in a, in a physically abusive relationship. Like right. I had the conversation with them, was trying to be a good friend, everything was cool, they left, and I'm like, all right, time to get to work. And like, I instantly had to go to the bathroom and throw up because hearing their story, even if I was telling myself you're okay, it was impacting my body. Yeah. It's stress. And then I was subconsciously fighting it, and then that caused me to throw up. You know what I mean? Like, we carry everything. Even talking about generation, we carry it. Yeah. And if our parents and our grandparents didn't even know they were supposed to resolve it or integrate it, I don't like using the word heal because that insinuates something's wrong with us. But, like, we just have to integrate it. We just have to learn from it. We just have to find mm-hmm. the value in it. If they didn't do it, they're passing it on to us. So now all we can do is break that cycle by getting it on paper, getting it out there, getting it with a therapist, getting it with whatever you can. So that's not in our DNA as much. Yeah. The only thing that remains is the resilience that came from dealing with that. Do you think everybody should go to uh, yes. therapy? Everybody. Yes, everybody. Like, everybody. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody. I wish... I, I, part of me feels like that, that might be my mission in life is to make therapy accessible for everybody. Because mm-hmm. therapy simply gets you out of black and white thinking. Black mm-hmm. and white thinking is such a, a reason we have so much drama and stress. Right. Because we're just like, oh, I can either do this and I can either do that. And the reason is because when we were kids, our brains were simple. 
it's right or it's wrong. Yeah, that's and it. that's how kids think. Yeah. That's how kids only can think. Mm. Adults can think more complex. Right. Right? But we don't upgrade. We don't have the conversations. So it's like, ooh, me and my girl are having problems. He's like, I stay with her or break up. No, there's a hundred different options in between. Stay up and stay together and break up. Yeah. You know? Because it's not one or the other. There are so many different options to explore. And that just takes having a conversation, saying it out loud, asking. I recently, uh, I have a friend, Jay Shetty, I'm sure you're aware of. Mm. He says something to me super interesting. He said, I just always ask myself, what is the best thought to have in this situation? So you're in the middle of something and you just try to think of the best thought yeah. to have in that situation. Because I was trying to see him before I left. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have time. Uh, I need to see him for something. Yeah. And then he made time. I'm like, how'd you do it? Because I just asked myself, what's the best thought to have? The best thought is figure out a way to see humble. Like, that's where his mind goes. Or like he's, you know, if if you're injured, like what's the best? Like, I'm injured. Mm-hmm. I gotta sit there and heal. Is being frustrated? If, is asking why me? Are these the best thoughts to have? Yeah. Or hey, I'm healing. I'm strong. I'm healthy. Things are getting better. Because that impacts it. Like our thoughts. Like that will. I'm not saying it's gonna do miracles. But it's, it's better having those than, like, self-pity, negative, yeah. woe-is-me type thoughts. What are, what are your opinions on, on, on vices? Because you mentioned, like, some people using, like, let's take a shot for, like, a temporary yeah. escape from what's going on or a, something that'll soothe how I feel. Yeah. Um, people, everybody, I feel like, has a vice, and it might be a substance. It might be, who knows? Yeah. It could be, like, me watching The Office over and over. I don't know if yeah. that's... But, but what are your thoughts on, on, on vices? Well, I think the, the thing we got to look at is because we, we view vices as things that give us pleasure. But we got to look at it. Is, is it giving us pleasure, right? Or is it medicating our pain? Hmm. Right? Like, do we want to feel nice or do we want to feel less shitty? Ooh. Right? So, you know, when they say, oh, open a bar, people drink when they're happy and they drink when they're sad. Right. So you and your family and your people's Let's say you get you hit episode 100. We're going to the bar. Let's turn up. Right. That's you know it, you're going in to enhance something that's happening, versus oh shit like something bad happened. Let's just go to the bar and just like, like burn it off. You feel what I'm saying? Got you. So and again like from a biological standpoint, the alcohol is gonna have consequences regardless. <laughs> but that matters. Yeah. Right. Like, um, you know, is pleasure enhancing the peace? Because we're not at peace. So it's pleasure trying to get us closer to peace temporarily or is it enhancing the peace mm. and there's a dude named i think it's peter crone and his uh yeah that name sounds familiar yeah his uh his, i think his analogy was um the, the 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 thin layer of disease over your life like the disease not disease like disease that thin layer makes such a difference when you chase pleasure and mm-hmm. he goes it's, it's the same as like sex with or without a condom Right. It's the same. same. Like, yeah, the sex is the same, but it's two very different feelings. And that's the thing. So why? Are, you know, and then the other challenge is, again, whatever our vices are, we live in a society that is making them easier and easier to get, mm-hmm. which is really turning them. This is a Naval Ravikant idea that as vices become more convenient, they become weaponized against you. So I think his analogy was like, if you have to climb to the top of a hill to get drunk, then climb the hill, get drunk. If you got to press buttons on your phone and the alcohol just arrives to you, that's a weapon used against you. Mm. You know, same thing mm. with TV, same with everything else. Like, if it's easy to get, then it's definitely going to go the other way. Oof. And then we have addictions and then we have, you know, everything else. So I think that's the thing, too. 
So, okay, that's vices. That's man, I'm gonna watch. But I don't look at them as a moral thing. No, it's not even. I wasn't even yeah. thinking from a moral. I just wanted to know, like, because yeah. I know we we all have our vices in the time and place. Like what you're saying, it's a celebratory reason or it's an escape this mm-hmm. type of situation. How do you feel about? Um, What's been big recently that I've been watching a lot of things about is psychedelics and that being something new and cool yeah. that people are doing just as like a, like almost like a, an alternative to medically or like going to seeing a therapist. It's like almost self-therapy for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think psychedelics is, is a great indicator that we don't understand ourselves, which I think should be a really important idea for people to like actually believe. Like, I don't understand me. If I don't understand me, let me take pressure off everybody else for trying to understand me. Because yeah. I don't understand me. Yeah. And now if I eat these mushrooms, all of a sudden, I see the world, experience the world in a whole different way. And I know that's coming from my brain. But how come I, I, this stuff how hasn't been... access yeah. to that uh, without this? Yeah. And either new filters are being put on mm-hmm. or filters are being taken off. And that's, that's up Ooh. to people's opinions, right? But at the end of the day, it's... To me, psychedelics are no different than art. Like art is to make, you know, have is advertising for things that matter, you know. And you see a picture of a tree or a picture of a chair, trying to make you look at something that you that your brain has taught you to ignore. We ignore things that are in place, so yeah. we have capacity to notice without a place, right? So art is just, just paints things and shows things and talks about things that have we just ignore and sheds a different light on them. That's the same thing with psychedelics. Like, oh mm. shit, that tree is sparkling. I wouldn't have looked at that tree otherwise. So I think there's a beauty in that. Yeah. Um, can it be abused? Yeah. As I said, we're not in this black and white thinking no more. So yeah, I've, I've, I've done you know, ayahuasca, I've done mushrooms, I've done DMT, I've done LSD, I've done, I've done all of them. Um, I've done some of them recreationally, but now, probably in the last two, three years, it's only been um, with a shaman and a guide and, and, and again, that makes really? it therapeutic. Yeah, because I didn't know. Like the first time I did mushrooms with friends, and we're just it's a different just dumb shit. We're yeah, just yeah, taking yeah, it. Yeah. And, yeah, let me see my face melt. Too. Yeah, let me see my face melt. Yeah. <laughs> and then I had like a whole shaman come in, and we did a whole, mm-hmm. you know, an hour of setting intentions beforehand, an hour of like practice. So there's meditation. prep work, and then what happens once yeah. you like, now you're focused. Now you're, you're you have an orientation mm-hmm. when you experience the things that you're experiencing. And that experience is completely different than you'd say if you were just taking it recreationally by yourself. Because to me, I, I find that when I've done mushrooms, it's very like, it starts off very giggly and fun and yeah. whatever. And then it gets to a point where it's like almost very emotional and you feel like you're really in your head and you're deep yeah. and you're seeing things in, in, from a perspective that you never did before. And to me, I always walk away with a nugget. Yeah. Like there's something that happens and I'm like. But you I, still, and, and again, like sometimes the nuggets slap you in the face. And, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, and sometimes you got to search for it. I think yeah, yeah, yeah. setting that orient, setting the orientation, is super important. Like you know, the word sin, what it translates to? What's that? Uh, without aim. Without aim? Yeah. So the real th- the real sin in life is to not have aim. Mm. So and I think we are, you know, I said we're 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 creatures that have to ignore things that aren't relevant. Like if you're car shopping, you'll notice every car on the street, every car ad. <laughs> you buy your car, you're not looking at cars no more, you're not looking at, you're not noticing the car ads. Yeah. You know? Um, and advertisers notice what? That's why they put their names on buildings and all this. It matters when it matters. And it's the same thing. So you set an orientation, then you're more likely to find those breadcrumbs. And that's what mm. I think manifesting really is. It's just mm. the same, like, like the stuff is always there. Yeah. But you just weren't oriented to look for it. And then when you set an intention, like I'm gonna find a lesson, I'm going to voluntarily be uncomfortable. 
I'm trying to figure out my love life, whatever. Now those breadcrumbs will be will be a lot more evident because you're looking for them. You mentioned just voluntarily being uncomfortable, and I saw I was watching one of your YouTube videos, and you're talking about one of the chapters in your book. I believe it was chapter 75. I did my research. I swear nice. I did. And uh, you're talking about being uh, uncomfortable and the idea of just like being like that being something that everybody should be comfortable with. Like, at what level? of discomfort should we be living with so to me like having a conversation with a random person at one point in my life was very uncomfortable yeah starting the conversation starting one too yeah yeah, especially yeah yeah because when you get into it yeah Yeah. exactly i feel as uncomfortable as possible and i mean and again i think not having black and white thinking it should not start you don't leap into these things like you the baby steps matter like it might be you know, if you want to start talking to strangers, you might just start with complimenting strangers and not having a conversation, just practicing mm. that. Mm-hmm. Practice that for a week. Then have a very docile conversation about the weather, about whatever. Like, you, you prime yourself, you can get yourself there. Yeah. Versus, like, just go start talking to strangers and tell me life story. <laughs> um, so there's that. But it's also, like, you know, the recipe for growth is discomfort. Like, an easy day at the gym is not a good day at the gym, you know? An easy day at the gym is absolutely not a good day at the gym. That means, and, I, and that should yeah. be life. Yeah, an easy day in life is probably atrophy. We need them. Rest. You have rest days. You don't yeah. go to the gym every day. Right. We can have rest days in life too, but at the same time, like we got to be actively uncomfortable. Got to be putting ourselves. Sorry. Is it, it a is it a fair statement to say to move forward and advance yourself in whatever career or whatever your your passion is or whatever it is? Yeah. There should be a level of discomfort pretty much daily. Yeah, and I think for a lot of us, you know especially as kids like we were things were kind of forced upon us we didn't like we learned to read because there was an adult sitting there keeping us accountable Mm -hmm. and they developed a 10-year program to get us there you know we'll start with the letters we'll start with the sounds yeah two-letter words three-letter words and we'll work our way up and then maybe by the time they're 13 14 they can read big words in novels yeah they were you know we don't do that when we want to try some ourselves right but it's got to be and it's little nudges but and i mean same thing with video games. You don't want to play a video game if it's too easy. Mm, you want it mm. to be challenging. You want you, you know. So it's the same thing with everything we do in life. It's just we, we shouldn't overdo it. That's all yeah. it is. You know, one foot in in the chaos and one foot in the comfort. What do you think? What do you think about uh, the idea of code switching? And I think that this kind of applies to somebody who has like a traditional family and goes home and then they might not ever wear traditional garments or whatever and then they, you know they're a different person and they go outside to queen west or whatever and they're wearing a different outfit then they go to the office and they're talking a different way do you feel like there has to be different buckets or different versions of yourself that you're presenting to people or is there a world where you're you're like you're you I think I think everybody would prefer a world where it's just them. Mm-hmm. I think everybody is tired wearing masks. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of this, this this concept of code switching is, from what I what I've heard of it, is like it's, it's generally oh society requires me to do this. Um, I I understand civilized social contracts. You know how I'm supposed to conduct myself in public. Mm-hmm. It's not the same as how I conduct myself in private that doesn't necessarily mean I have to be something I'm not. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just taking time to dissect. Like when I moved to LA, I don't want to wear designer clothes and spend money on an expensive watch to do all that stuff. But mm-hmm. then as I decoded it, I realized that's not what LA 
requires from you either. LA just wants every LA rewards people. Everybody in LA dresses like it's the first day of school. Is that true? My wife from LA. That's it. Okay. Now, what I would wear on the first day of school is different than what you. You just have to communicate that you put in energy. That's funny, yeah. That's, right. That's it. Right. It doesn't have to be expensive. Yeah. It just has to be like, you put in energy and effort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, that made it a lot easier for me to conduct myself out there because I didn't feel this pressure to do anything. But I understood that, like, okay, this is, this has to be fun. You know what I mean? Like I the love same, that. Yeah, the same, the same, the you know, the you. you you don't just be disheveled or whatever. That, you know, yeah. and some people might complain about that, but it's also like that's you know, there's growth in that. So I think for me, when I think about this coast, I get it. Um, for like maybe four years ago, I was like a guest host on a CBC radio show. And I remember one of my homies was like, "Man, I love your Caucasian voice," and I didn't realize I, I, I looked at it as my enunciating voice. Oh, you so you I was on CBC, so I've got to have myself maybe. And, but again, subconsciously, subconsciously like, yeah, Hi, yeah. Like, this is your host, Humble the Poet. <laughs> you know what I mean? But then, like, and, and, but just recently in the studio, I was making music. Yeah. And then I was encouraged to do the same thing. Mm. And I was just like, oh, okay, because it's also enunciating. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like, so I think. I'm not the and 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 it does kind of uh, concern me that the com- these conversations are happening in Toronto. Like when it happened in America, I'm like, what cultural appropriation? Coach, like what? You know where I come from? We don't think about this stuff. <laughs> Everybody's everything. I can rap and go to Trinidad every year and enjoy yeah. soca music, and I'm I'm me. Yeah, you know, and they they look at me as a Rexo guy, not as a you're <laughs> yeah. Punjabi. You're supposed to do what Punjabis do. You're this. You're, that's not what it is. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, and you guys keep telling people that like, you can't braid your hair, you can't do this, you can't do that. Like I don't, I don't complain. Do you find that they're confused by you? Like they look at you and they're like Punjabi guy with tattoos and speaks like this and over is also in the a States? rapper over in the states. No, over here. Over in the here, over here, you feel like it's the Punjabis because other Punjabis they have their definition of what they think of Punjabi. Oh, sure, is. that's probably yeah. It's always within your community because mm. they're trying to, they're they're both prisoners and guards. They're prisoners of what this culture wow. is. And it don't matter if you're talking, we're talking about being black, being any, Korean, yeah, any of these. being a woman, yeah. being anything. Yeah. You know, an entrepreneur, there's these definitions of what you can be. And it's always the people within it who wow. themselves were stuck in it or didn't have the balls to get out of it that try to keep you within that. When I go to L.A., they don't have the context. They don't, it doesn't happen. Mm. You know, they don't, they don't even know my ethnicity half the time. Mm. They can't because mm. they don't have that context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, You're a true uh, minority out there. I feel hmm? LA. There's not a lot of. Yeah, but but the thing too is Punjabis are minorities everywhere. Like Punjabis represent two percent of India. Toronto has a lot of Punjabis, but yeah, there's my, only yeah, there's my, only my thirty million Punjabis yeah. in India. Yeah. There's one point five billion people in India. India has eighty wow. languages. India should not, not be that. a country. Yeah, India crazy. should be a continent. Yeah. You know what I mean? So Punjabis, we're minorities there. Yeah. And. But we're the sauce over there. We're like black folks. We're the we're the we're the we're the military. We're the rhythm. We're the films. We're the music. And then they, and then the like mainstream takes all of that. Yeah. yeah. And they take just just That's like the crazy. folks out here stole rock and roll, stole hip hop, and wow, whatever else y'all come up with, they gonna steal that too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but that's what it is. Like, yeah. and so for me, I grew up always being a minority. I grew up never requiring a safe space. Yeah understanding that I'm always on the outside and seeing the beauty of it because it means I'm never going to get complacent in my beliefs mm. because I'm constantly challenged. So I don't, you know, whereas if I was part of the majority yeah. in a homogenous society, they're not thinking that life could be a different way or life should be a different way. 
So over there, but they, over there though, because to distract people from the class warfare, you know, as those who have a lot steal from those who have little, they have all this identity politics. Mm. You know, Cause they, and they use that as a distraction because everyone loves to hear their own opinion on these matters. So for me, I always try to tell them that we don't have that in Toronto. We're, you know, we're past all of that. Yeah. But I'm learning that we're not. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it, and it sucks because yeah. I don't think people, I'm like, these conversations are distracting from the fact that they're slowly turning everyone into an Amazon employee. Those who have and those who don't have, to me, yeah. is the only conversation that ever needs to be had. And everything relates back to that. Racism, abortion, all of these go back to how do we keep people who don't have yeah. from having anything? And how much more can we take from them? Agreed. Because Agreed. when you go everywhere else in the world, they don't have multiculturalism. Then you can see that, but they have those same problems. That's why mm. like a movie like Parasite is so important. Because Parasite shows you those who had crazy, yeah. and those who don't, but they don't have different colors. Yeah. And they help you realize that it's not a race thing. Here, it's... It, it, they tell the, you it is, but it's not. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and the race thing is, is, is the consequence of it. Yeah. Because that's who they're going to you know, subordinate. But at the end of the day, it's those who have versus those who don't. And then even within minority and marginalized communities, those who have contribute to those who don't. Yeah, yeah. You know? So I think from that standpoint, it's, it's something that I... But I get it because, as I said, this is the first... 20 years in human history where every single human being is encouraged and incentivized to have an opinion ever the average human being 200 years ago didn't even think they should have an opinion yeah. and if they did yeah. they had nowhere to share it yeah. now everybody is everyone's chiming in on everything mm. and, and and they think they have a right to even you know i think people only have a right to an informed opinion and these are, everyone's opinions are not. And people have also found out how to weaponize that for attention. They'll get a platform and then they'll have the least informed opinion. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then they also realize the tricks. Like, yeah. you know, you guys posted an episode and 99 of your friends are like, great job, great job. And then one person like, y'all ain't shit. That's, they know that's going to pop out. Mm -hmm. They may not even mean it. They just know that that's the graffiti that will get them, them attention. Because mm. they're in it for them. Mm -hmm. Everybody's a film critic or everybody's a, a gossip columnist now. Trying to feed off, like they're, they're, you know, they're the birds feeding off the whales now. You got mad bars, and you're not even rapping. Uh, I just have a question that has to do with that. Were you, like, uh, how does it ever get hard to stay humble? And that's a double entendre, because yeah. I mean, like, to you stay you on the jumbotron. Um, <laughs> no, hundred percent, because I think on a on a regular basis for me. To, to gain nutrition, I, I have to be the least accomplished, the least intelligent, least articulate, least everything in the room. I have to be. Really? I have, well. Oh, I guess, to, yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah, anything in with doing. You're not, you know, you're not trying yeah. to be, you know, I don't want to be in a room where everyone's just looking at me. Yeah. I want to be in a room where I'm looking at everybody. Like, as I said, like, when I sit down with Jay Shetty, every time I sit down with him, I bring a pen and pad. Mm. And I take endless notes. Endless. And we take ideas and we pick them apart. Yeah. We li I literally spoke with him for an hour about guilt versus gratitude and how both of them can motivate the exact same behavior. Like, if you guys let me crash here, let's say I didn't have a place to stay, you guys let me crash here. Yeah. I'll wake up, wash your dishes, clean your bathroom, do all of this stuff. And I can do it in the guise of gratitude, but I'm really doing it out of Cause guilt. Because I feel like, Cause oh man, he's going to take care of me, you, yeah. you know, whatever. I don't, or I don't want them to think I'm a mooch. 
I don't, you know, it's not, you fill my heart and I need to like expand this energy. Yeah. But it looks the same. And then we started talking about how many things can be done that way. There's people out there working their asses off and, 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 and doing it to make a lot of money for material. Then there's people who work their asses off for a cause. But the work and, and the line of work could be the exact same. Hmm. So we'll sit there for an hour just talking about this stuff and I'm just taking notes. Yeah. I, I, like that, that's my nutrition. You know, so for me, there's no, and then again, like in, and the other ironic thing that happened to me is in LA, I am the least accomplished person in my friend circle. So everyone's my friend. But is, my, is that like also me. like a great feeling though? Like, don't, I feel like you kind of want to be surrounded by people that are pushing you. You do. And I don't know if they're even necessarily pushing. I think it's all, it's, it's, everyone's on their own journey. So no one's like sitting there like, hey, everybody, humble. let's get humble to where we're at. No, no, no. But I feel like just looking at people where they're at. And to me, I yeah. like to be in a room where I'm like, okay, I see humble's killing it. And I, I'm not there yet, but I want to be there. And then some. Yeah. And I want to be around those people. But you also versus. have to like, but then you also see the other side. Like I was broke as fuck in like 2014 in LA, hanging out with guys who were making 100 grand a month. Right. Seeing how miserable they were. Being like, oh, okay, what are the things that your finances don't impact? They don't impact your relationship with your family right. in terms of the peace. They don't impact your mental health. If anything, what money at this point probably be weaponized against you because you can afford more distractions. Mm-hmm. Um, and your health, your personal health. P- yeah, you have money to make better investments, but people don't. All of us have enough money to eat broccoli over French fries, <laughs> but we picked the we picked the French fries. It's, yeah, yeah. So I know people in LA who are rich as fuck, don't have therapists, don't have personal trainers, don't have private chefs. These are the things that will improve the quality of your life. Right. That's the only things that your money is going to improve the quality of your life. And um, you know, so learning okay, okay, success isn't money. Okay, then what is success? Is success, is success being Dave Chappelle, and just speaking your truth and talking your shit is that what it is or is mm. it something else so I think you have to figuring that out I think is really important too yeah. I, I know a lot of successful people in, in, in LA but they're, a lot of them are very anxious mm-hmm. and I think I don't know if you've read the Will Smith book but it's, no, a, it's, a, it's a good. Re- I heard it's really good though. it's so good and one of the big themes is you can get very rich uh, with your trauma response like Will Smith was like like my dad beat my mom I was just trying to make him laugh to put him in a better mood Wow. And I got rich off that. Wow. You know, and I think there's something interesting. So you go to LA with that, that lens, like, oh shit, okay. <laughs> I, understand, I understand now how that person got their 10,000 hours in that thing that they do. Yeah. And I also understand how they'll never be at peace, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And if it's been too long, I know, I, know, I know authors who released a book, had a beautiful moment, the whole world's looking at them, it was amazing. And then they're writing their second book and having FOMO, even though there's no, like the next book hasn't even dropped yet. So not even getting that. because of what they did? Because other people are in that spot now. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? It's like Jay-Z having FOMO for Nas. If Jay-Z dropped the album last year and Nas dropped an album this year, Mm -hmm. he gets all the attention. Yeah. Meanwhile, Jay-Z doesn't have anything new to drop. But the the addiction was the attention and the validation. Mm. And you see that. And money can't fix that. So... So you, you're talking about the books, and that I swear you're just leading to, like, you're looking at my notes, actually. Uh, your first book, yeah, I have notes here, actually. I haven't been looking at them, so that's been great. Uh, your first book was Things No One Else Can Teach No, the first book's Unlearn. Or Unlearn, and then Things No, no One, one else, else Can Teach is a new one. Was the, yeah, it was one that followed up after that. 
was I'm assuming that those came from like a place of lots of self learning and unlearning. Like how yeah. how did you get there? Because I know like we talked about your evolution from just basically being a a, a battle rapper, text yeah. battle rapper, and then all of a sudden you're doing all this other stuff that's very yeah. adjacent. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how you get to writing books. I mean, what that was actually was I was making music, and um, back then, like I didn't know how to record, so I had a you know I had a studio that I worked out of. I didn't make videos. I had a video guy. Everything was like it wasn't do it yourself in the mm. early days, um, for me at least back then. Um, so when something would happen with them, you know, like, like the DJ at work would got in a fight with his girlfriend, went MIA on me, or the video guy. You know, his real job was a wedding photographer. So, uh, he got busy with work. Then I couldn't get work done. Yeah. Right? So then I had to figure out what could I do that didn't require me to wait on anybody. And that's when I had just met Lily. And she was explaining to me her video process. It was like, look, I shoot, I write the video, I shoot the video, I edit the video. So she I don't put you on wait. game too. I didn't realize. Yeah, that's how her. we became friends. Because she was wow. the first person I met. She was the first person I met out here whose creative journey wasn't a side hustle and it wasn't a hobby. Mm. She was in it. She was all in. That was the first person I ever met here. That's crazy. Doing that, yeah. And everybody else had a day That's job. That's a good first person that. to meet. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, and back then, she's like, I mean, shit, back then, like, I had more followers than her. Like, yeah. she, I met her super early. And, yeah. um, but when she explained that to me, she's like, you don't have to, because the frustration of waiting on people was killing me. And then she's like, well, you can do all these things. I go, I don't know how to film. I don't know how to edit. She goes, what do you know how to do? I go, I know how to write. So what ended up happening, I just started to fill in the gaps and not having music to release, I started writing every day, like pretty much blogging. Yeah. And then I re then that very quickly became apparent that that connected with more people. Because not everyone can understand lyrics. Mm -hmm. You know, some people never listen to lyrics. They only listen to the music. You know, and here I was with a big, you know, lyricist chip on my shoulder. And I was only <laughs> rapping to impress cannabis. I wasn't trying to connect with everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the digestibility of, of my work was never going to be better than reading it in black and white. So that's when I started writing. And then the idea of a book came when I met an artist. Um, and he was putting me on game about how artists make money. Yeah. He was like, it ain't the live show. It's the merch you sell after. He's like, just give them something that they can pay 20 bucks for. And then I was thinking about t-shirts. So I was like, what would be a better use of 20 bucks? So I was like, let me do a book. Mm. So I, I wrote the book. And I collected my writings for the first book and, and created the book. And then that's what I was selling at the shows. But then the book because it's much more accessible to people in terms of grasping wh who I am. Yeah. That trumped the music. I feel like the book also has more longevity because they read that stuff yeah. and they, they, there's more of a connection after that too. Yeah. And also now, yeah. like in retrospect, like it's, it's the book's still slow art. Mm -hmm. To drop a book every two, three years is considered quick versus if you're in the music game, you have to drop content endlessly. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and, that, and that's, that's a whole other pain for any creative. So do you feel like this is a, a speed that... Is a whole lot less pressure than it's less pressure than music, and yeah. then also now, like like people, I've, I was at an event yesterday. People were asking me why I don't make music anymore. I go, I make music every day. I mm. literally write every day. I don't release music because I have no desire to try to make a TikTok trend. I have no desire to make a shit ton of content. I have friends in music who are doing well, but they're content producing machines. You have to take the same. <laughs> like now, you literally have to shoot a hundred music, a hundred music videos for the same song. You know, and just keep putting it out. Yeah. You know, like it's you're pounding shit into people's heads endlessly for that. 
I got to do that for the book, but I only have to do that once every two, three years. So now I'm trying to find the next thing that's even slower, and that's, that's TV and film. Mm. And then that's art that will allow me, and again, I, I'm not knee-deep into it, so I could be completely lying to myself, but that's art that You're allows manifesting, me to, you're not lying. Manifesting. Yeah. But I mean in the context of what's required for that job. Right. But like if I have a TV show, my job is to create it. My job is not to market it. You know, that still has traditional old school marketing. Absolutely. You know, and, you know, it's cool having a strong following online, but that's a decision that that plays into people's decisions to give me opportunities because mm. I'm an established billboard for them because I have a built in audience. Yeah, yeah, proof of concept. Proof yeah, of yeah, concept. Yeah. But I need to, I want to get away from that because at the end of the day, like all like all the social media stuff is you're building a castle in somebody else's sandbox. Like. Yeah, it's not yours. Yeah, it's not true. mine. Yeah. You know, when they when they deleted Trump shit, like that should have been a warning sign for everyone that this ain't yours. <laughs> They're not your followers. They're not your audience. Wow. And so for me, I'm I'm mindful of that. So I was like, okay, now is the time to to focus on the ideas that I have and establish credibility in that space, um, because there are people that don't care about how many views you get. They care about the quality of the work, and I, and I, and I've hit a threshold where I can do that now. And yeah. build that credit. I want to build that reputation that he makes dope shit. Whether people know about it or not is a whole yeah. different story. And so I think television and film is the next move for that. So like that just is a question personally for me because I'm a content creator, as you can see. And I, I've been like, as of late, I've been telling my guys that I work with and everything. I'm like, I don't want to, and not that we have, but I want to make, I want to make it very, like, I, I want to be very conscious about it and make it known to everybody, all these guys here, that like. We don't want to. I don't want to worry about numbers anymore. I want to make sure that the content is it, it's solid, so that the, anybody sees it. They're like, "Yo, who is that?" And you know, I don't know if you had to make a switch from like doing things, looking at the numbers to get the numbers, and then once you get to a certain point where you're like, "Okay, I can," I don't have to worry about it as much because I have my platform. Was there a switch up for you in that mentality, or has it been like kind of somewhat of a balance on the come up? No, I think is so. What happened was the first time I ever experienced it. So I was never a YouTuber. Yeah, I just you're on YouTube. I was on YouTube, <laughs> but I was not a regular creator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I dropped whenever I had stuff. I wasn't participating in it, but I, I had a front row seat to all the YouTubers through my relationship with Lily. And when I went to LA yeah. in the early years. Everyone I knew was like a rich and famous. I mean, the first time I met you was a YouTube event. It was yeah, the, at the YouTube fan creator fest. fan fest. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. So I was plugged into that world that way. But then I saw, like, YouTube made the algorithm switch, and it wasn't a private secret switch. They made the switch, and I saw how that literally destroyed the mental health of so many creators because they mm. couldn't wrap their head around the idea that like they just thought people hated them overnight. Wow. And it's like, oh, you know, and I'm talking about like. They went from a million views every day like to... 100,000 or something like no, that? No, to like 900,000. And that was enough to like... Because it was like, if I'm not going up, then I'm going down. Yeah. And they weren't able to... And, 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 and the change was simply... Let's say Humble the Poet dropped a beautiful song about heartbreak. Before the change, they would recommend more Humble the Poet songs. After the change, they would recommend more heartbreak songs. Wow. You feel what I'm saying? So now everybody became a trend chaser. What's the trend? Not the it's not about the creator anymore. No it's about the creation. That's where we're at now. Which is fine. Which is fine yeah. because you know the creation can be and should be more important than the creator. Um, the only challenge with that is it's endless. Like it's an like 
there is nobody that's, that, that feels I'm doing enough on social media. And again, you can put in all this effort and then they find something to optimize their code because their only goal is to keep people on. Mm-hmm. Right? So now, again, you're, this, is not, this is not for you. This is not yours. They're not, they're not your audience. You, yeah. have, you don't have access to them. And again, we, and, and everybody we grew up listening to had traditional marketing. They had billboards, bus ads. Like they had somebody else put a lot of money to make sure everyone knew that yeah. this was happening. Now it's on us. You know, and I have, when I have marketing meetings with the different partners that I do stuff, sometimes the marketing meeting literally is reminding me I have famous friends. Hmm. They're not saying they're going to put money on an ad, a billboard or yeah. buy, buy a five second ad on YouTube. They're like, okay, have you asked so-and-so to post about this? <laughs> and they're like, oh, I thought you guys liked my ideas. You guys are just signing me because I, I have famous friends. Yeah. Wow. Because it's a de-attention economy. Yeah. But that is endless. It's not good for you. Then you're really like, what are, what are you winning for? And you're going to constantly chase wins. You don't want whatever you released today to do worse than whatever you released yesterday. Yeah. So I got, I saw that happen with the YouTubers. I saw how it impacted them. Mm. I saw how they couldn't shake the idea. Mm. And I was like, okay, I'm not playing that. I'm going to do whatever I do. And for years it worked. And then maybe it's going to stop. Maybe it's whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to get off social media completely. And then somebody had... I would love to be able to figure out how to switch that up because I I love doing this, but I don't like being on that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I get it. I mean, and I I, I have an assistant. I mean, you've spoken to my assistant, but like I have an assistant. So like I make, if I make something, she does the posting or I write a book, she'll go find the quotes, create the quotes, post the quotes, you know, because there's not much happening on my Instagram in terms of, hey, look at me. I'm over here. Yeah. (laughs) And I can, and I've seen that. Like at first it was like, I used to post where I was at. Then it was, I'm not doing it, but if somebody tags me, then I can repost it. I'm not even doing that now. Like, I was at an event. I had, like, 20 different people post videos of me. Yeah. That could have been a whole story. Yeah. I don't even have the energy for that anymore. Mm. And I'm not seeing the positives of that. If people are messing with me because I'm hanging out with cool people, that's not going to help my mission yeah. in the long run. Is that a mental health thing for you to stay away from being the person that's always on, like, reposting this, oh, I'm over here, or... 100%, like, just not having the need. And again, I'm I'm just like everybody else. I have a puppy. She, I treat her like a basic IG girl. (laughs) What do you mean? You know, like, if she's on a boat, I'm taking a picture of her on the boat. (laughs) You're not going to see a picture of me on the boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm taking a picture of her. She was here. But it's also, like, I, and I'm trying to use it the way we used to use Facebook, which is, let me show the six people in my life what's happening. Like my family wants to see my puppy yeah. on the boat. Have you seen this thing, Be Real, that new uh, platform? I heard about it, which is like, it tells you when to go on live. There's certain times throughout the day, and I still, I would love to do this with my circle of friends, because that's what it's about. It's not about going viral and having thousands and hundreds of people seeing what you do. It's like, certain points throughout the day, everybody's got to post at the same time, so you'll be in the middle of doing dishes. And if you don't, what happens? I don't think anything happens, but I think it's just, oh. if you're going to do it, you got to post, and it's going to do the front and back camera. So it's literally just saying, yo, this is what's going on in my life, and it's a way to stay connected with the people. I that think it's you, an interesting concept. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm curious to see what the incentive is for people doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if there's yeah. much there. I'm not sure how yeah. big it'll get, but it, it's something that's uh, yeah. And I'm sure they'll there. pivot, or they, if they make enough money, they'll hire enough smart people to figure it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know, like, Facebook wasn't making money for years, and then yeah. they figured it out. So it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, from that standpoint, um, and maybe they'll they'll this will be their like little niche thing in the beginning, and then they'll turn into everything else. Mm. Every every social media turns into the Something. same thing at the end. Yeah. So I think from that standpoint, it's definite. And I think for me, like for the longest time, 
it was only um, once I came to LA because I started going to way more events. I didn't even have social media on my phone. So wow. I had a whole separate phone. Because if you go on my social media, you're not seeing pictures of them. You're just seeing quotes or you're seeing footage. Like, the, like I plan on doing so many interviews for this next book. But it'll be this that you're going to post. Like those that's all, that's what yeah. this is going to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, again, my assistant watches it, sees it. And even now, it's even better because YouTube uh, shows you like the little humps. So the lumps tell you what people liked, mm. right? So go cut that up and put it up. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't require. And I I used to do that. I used to we used to, I used to go to my assistant, and she's a younger female, which is more of my core demographic. Right. I'm like read the book, highlight the quotes you like, tweet them out, whatever gets, a hundred retweets. Let's turn that into Instagram content. Smart. You know, like it was yeah formulaic, but it was like that's better than me trying to suck in my stomach and yeah. <laughs> some other shit that's not me. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. It's not you know, and also. In the last couple of years, as my access to really cool things was happening, you don't want to be the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to be, be the guy that's like... Yeah. That was a thing that was weird for me when I was at that YouTube fan fest. Because that was the first time I was around as many yeah. creators. And I just felt like nobody was present. And that was very yeah. weird for me. Well, nobody, presence is not peace for people. They're doing mm -hmm. everything to avoid that. Yeah. Yeah. Word. But it's definitely like... Yeah, I'm I'm in rooms now where you tell people you're a big fan, that'll get you like not invited. You know what I mean? Like don't be brand yeah, new. Yeah, 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 yeah. Facts. And that's hard. Yeah. Because every time you think you're not supposed to be brand new. But you feel like new. you're trying to be genuine though. If you're genuinely a big fan with somebody, you might just don't. Yeah. <laughs> because it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. also doesn't work, but it's also like So an example is I met Jay Z. Mm -hmm. To this day, if you gave me a time machine, I still wouldn't know what to say to him. Yeah. So what did you? Wait, he shook you, my hand, introduced himself as Sean. And you just shook it. Nice to meet you. I didn't say you. I know. I said very nice to meet you. It was yeah. at a roller skate rink. It was a party at a roller skate rink. It was a private party for somebody. And I'm like, are you gonna roller skate? And he said, no. Uh, I saw you struggling. I'm not gonna do it. And I'm, I had like a stupid little laugh in my face. Like, what are you gonna say? What are you gonna say? And I almost wore a Jay Z shirt to that party. That would have been awkward. That would have been very, very awkward. <laughs> Then he's like, I know. <laughs> I know you're Sean. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he, they both were there. And when he walked in um, with his wife. Yeah. And, like, there was, like, six giant security guards. I'm sure one of them would just told me to leave before they even walked in. Yeah, because they don't want that energy. Yeah. Word. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, and there's levels. And, again, like, there's levels. Of, there have been times. Like, I met. I went to somebody's house. And like you know how I just walked in and there were people here that yeah. I met them. Yeah. I walked in someone's house and the people there was Anderson Silva, you know, who's one of the greatest fighters ever, and I'm a yeah. massive fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I just and walked, you weren't expecting it either. No, right? No yeah. context. Yeah. So I walked in like this, fully this circle and turned around, and like my back's against the wall and I'm breathing heavy. Because <laughs> <laughs> because even my friends like, yo, I don't care about no celebrities. I don't care. There ain't nobody I care. And then everyone is like, until, Anderson Silva. Until. <laughs> what? He was there. And yeah. then the host, he was like, yo. I'm like, yo, I'm, that's just, I'm not ready for this. And then yeah. he went and introduced me as his brother. We ended up having a great conversation. And it was freaking dope. And then, like, recently, I think when his last boxing fight, mm. I posted about He sent me a voice message. And I was just like, oh, and then hey. I still trip out over that type of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's like, I understand the nature of being, you know. And then there could be some big celebrity I don't. I know who they are. Like I know Taylor Swift. I don't know any of her work. If yeah. I saw her, I get it. But I don't have that. I don't have an emotional relationship with her. 
But what you learn is just don't be brand new. Mm. And it's like, you know, that just treat people like humans. And telling them telling them you're a big fan of their work is great, but I don't know. I'm I'm learning that now. Yeah, only so doing. definitely not pulling out the camera. No, 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 no. Definitely not doing any no, of we that. Talk, we talk about pulling out the camera. You can't pull out the camera. I did. I only did that one time, and I, I didn't pull out the camera. I was just at the Fan Expo, and I ran it. Uh, have you ever seen The Walking Dead? Mm-hmm. Do you know Herschel? Yeah. Oh, I freaked out. Yeah. That was the only celebrity. Yeah. I've met lots of celebrities. That's the only one, for some reason, yeah. I couldn't even formulate my words. I'm like, you're, you're my TV grandpa. The old man. Yeah. But, yeah, but he was the same, same dude. He's like, oh, okay, what's yeah. your name? You in school? I wasn't even in school. Yeah. I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But, uh, no, I hear you. You can't be uh, brand new. And like you know that. what yeah. it is, too? I feel like I, I would be brand new. Certain podcasts I listen to, I'd be, if I, if I, if I like, and I'm talking about, like, some NPR podcast. I'm, I'm a nerd. Like, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. So I think these are some of the people who are not even publicly facing people who probably can walk the street. But if yeah. I saw them, I would go out of my way to, to, like, be like, shit, like, I'm such a big fan. And I would have that conversation with them. But, that's yeah. not, but, I, but at the same time, I'm just thinking... The point of the camera and, and the conversation was about like this idea of like capturing moments mm. for an audience that you think needs to know what you're doing. Did you have that thought when you went on the Breakfast Club the first time? Like me capturing it? Yeah, like, I don't no, have you... anything from it. You know? huh? Like I don't, I didn't do anything. Like they film it, they do everything. I don't, no, no. I'm talking about you going in and just being like, like I feel like you must have had a per- like you feel like I gotta say something. Like you have. A message oh share, yeah you know I, mean, I mean who hasn't rehearsed a <laughs> breakfast club interview seven million times every day yeah 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 no that was yeah that was surreal that was extremely surreal that was yeah like, yeah i've been on twice now and, and yeah, both times, I mean, yeah. yeah it's surreal like that's a whole other yeah that's a, and again like and on top of that like it was surreal and it was also like i did the interview and even now like, i think there's an interview that came out today with like Marion and like Angela yeah. Yee's in it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They film months in advance sometimes. Oh, for people. I yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. Like, Omarion has a book, but the, the interview don't drop till the book drops. But Omarion might have done the interview like in July or in June, and then they just hold it. Or right. if the interview is someone like me, who's not as big as any of the guests that they normally have, then they're like, all right, we're, we're going to air this when we have nothing else to air. <laughs> wow. Right? So then, or, or, or we're going to air. So they didn't tell me a release date. So you just do it and then you just sit around. It took me six. I was invited on Instagram by Charlemagne on Instagram. He's a big comments, fan of yours, too. Like he, somebody he, put my book on his desk. That makes to, sense. To this day, we don't know who. But <laughs> we don't. We, we actually really. Don't. Yeah. And, I, and then he read the book. He posted about the book. I don't know him in any capacity. Yeah. Um, I've seen him in interviews. He was mispronouncing my name. What do you call he's you? Like, he's like the... The, the humble poet, the poet humble. <laughs> like, he didn't know, you know what I mean? Like, it was yeah. literally, he was, and he was doing it out of the goodness of his heart. And he has, he has a very big heart. Then I commented, like, thank you so much. Then his comment was, for sure, come on the show. But that was it. Wow. It wasn't, I'll hit you in the DMs with a phone number yeah, and yeah, an yeah, email. Yeah. Then it was like, okay, he said this. <laughs> Who do I send the screenshot? Like, how do I, it took six weeks to figure it out. Oh, really? That was he, it. He hosts the show. Like, so he's he not the guy that's going to set it up. Yeah, so you got to figure out who the people are. Yeah, and, yeah, all yeah. of that. It took all of it. Yeah. And then wow. the, we did the show and then had no idea when it was dropping. Then the book, then the book, because when they did other interviews after or before, you know, the book was on, I think, Angelie's desk for a bit. Cause I guess she was doing the research. Like they do the research or whatever. Wow. So people started seeing that 
and messaging me, be like, yo, your book's in there, not knowing that I had already done an interview. And I remember wow. the day I did the Why interview. Why did they, did they like put, put it up or something, like in the back? Because I know they have like a bunch of stuff. That, but also I think Angela Lee had it on her desk, like face down, oh, like people literally. sending me screenshots yeah. and stuff like that. And this was after I did my interview. So again, it could have been an interview, the interview before mine, that's that day or the day before. <laughs> but yeah, I had no idea. They gave me no info. And I feel like it was at least a month after I did the interview. Yeah. And then it was not, and then again, like, and then I, I, I was not awake for the day it came. It's like I, when I woke up, let's say I woke up like 1030 or whatever, because that's our morning already, show. Yeah. And it's then the phone, early, my phone had blown it's up. early. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing in this game too. Like you do a lot of cool things. You can't tell you can't anybody. Tell, yeah, yeah. And then you don't know when it's coming out. A friend of mine just shot a TV show and, uh, you know, they just found out the TV show doesn't come out till May. Oh my God. I, I, like yeah. they're done. And yeah. they're like, what? You can't, so that's it. There's no talking about it. There's no behind, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, you couldn't cast me as a Black Panther. I don't know what to do. I would yeah, not know what to do. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's bananas. So I think, and it goes back to this idea of like, again, I didn't pull out my phone while I was there. Mm. Uh, but, but, but again, like that's, like they do. They take pictures of it. All that, all that stuff is captured. Yeah, you'll have they, it. Yeah, they'll yeah. handle yeah. it. And yeah. then you just got to hope they give it to you or you're screenshotting it off their <laughs> stuff or whatever. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think... From that standpoint, um, I think that's what I've made my peace with in terms of like um, content, like yeah. conversations like this. So cut them up. we've talked about your book and the one that's coming out in December. We didn't talk about your book and any of the content. So what 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 what's uh, what is this new book going to be about? Oh, the new book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called How to Be Loved. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote the simplest book ever about love. Like, no one's going to read this book and think love is complicated after reading really? this book. Yeah. That was the mission. And I, and I pulled it off. I worked very hard. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. I, pulled, so I, I had a moment where, because I, 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 I started the book before the pandemic, but this book was my anchor during the pandemic. Like, this book kept me And that was one of my alive. questions, so that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. This, this, is, this was my purpose during the pandemic, yeah. which I had previously started before. And I had, it was a conversation with a, my lawyer. Mm. My lawyer's like, yo. No one's looking. No one's looking out for you right now. Like no one's looking to see what your next thing is. So take this time and get so much done because you're gonna miss the world Facts. when it's not when it's Facts. busy again. Yeah. She told me that early. It's the hyperbolic time chamber. Like, yeah. Get that shit done. She's yeah. like, this is the perfect time to get something done. So mm-hmm. I wrote the book and I like I set a schedule. I did everything, and um, yeah. So it was like over two years. Like the book. Like I just looked up my book pitch. The, the file was like January 2020. Wow. And I remember being in Trinidad for Carnival and we were negotiating with the, like, me, I was talking to my agent at a restaurant while I was in Trinidad about like, okay, they're cool with this and not cool, you know. So that's how early I was in this process. Yeah. And the pandemic hit, I was like, oh, this is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> this is so perfect. Yeah. And I'm fortunate. I know it wasn't a, a great pandemic for everybody, but it was fortunate in that context that I had this thing to focus on and I got to be back in the city. Yeah. But um, yeah, I studied philosophers. I studied therapists. I studied poets. I studied religions. I studied everything that anyone who ever spoke about love wrote about mm. love. I studied all of it. And, and you and simplified it to... Yeah. So would you say that people overcomplicate love? 100%. That's, that's, mm. that's the biggest issue people they overcomplicate love and they don't recognize love yeah so they think attention is love they think power is love they think success is love they think money is love that's all bootleg Mm. that's all bootleg love that's not that's not love yeah you know that's that's love the same way mcdonald's is food 
Ooh. You know what I mean? Like, there's no nutritional value in it. Yes. But it's addictive. It's easy. It's convenient. So I think from that standpoint, um, the the goal of the book is just to get people to think about that. Mm. I don't. There's nothing. Again, it doesn't have to be anything new. Yeah. Um, and the idea that we we subconsciously believe we have to earn love. Subconsciously. Yeah. We think everything think has ev- to be earned. Yeah. 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 yeah but it doesn't. And we all have experiences holding a little baby family member in our hands and just being having our heart fill up with love. And that baby didn't do shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't have to earn love. Love isn't earned. You know, there's no enoughness when it comes to love. That's yeah. that's that's capitalism making us feel like shit to sell us stuff. Yeah. You know? Um, or, you know, Disney reappropriating stories about the knight in shining armor and the damsel in distress. Like you have to be you know, you you might have to be something to marry in a certain tax bracket. Mm. You might have to be something to get a guy to look at you a certain way. Mm. None of that is love. And so a lot of that is functional. But then, you know, when we started associating marriage and love, you know, marriage used to be transactional completely. It wasn't Business, a romantic yeah. idea. Yeah. It was combining families, com- mm. combining assets. But then it became, no, I'm going to marry who I love. So then when you're doing a transaction, there isn't enoughness. Do you have as much money? As, does your family have as much as I do? We're yeah. combining our, you know, there isn't enoughness. But then it turned into, when it got romantic, there isn't an enoughness. Humans aren't measured as enough. But people think they have to be good enough for something. And again, it goes back to their trauma when they're young. So I know people that are in bad situations and they think that it's their fault. I think one of the biggest, as men, one of the biggest things I'm realizing now to show empathy towards women, women will take responsibility for everything. They think everything's their fault. You know, when, when you're with, when, with a man, they always will internalize it like it's their fault. Mm. And most of the time, it has nothing to do with them. Mm. You know, but they've been raised to internalize everything. And I don't think men notice that. I, I, I don't think I do. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you're trying to have sex with a woman, you can't get it up. They think it's their fault. Wow. That's, that's a good way to simplify it. Yeah. You know? And it's like, no. It's yeah. never your fault. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's never your fault. The things yeah. that you think, you know, it, no. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's like, but those conversations aren't happening. And, and realizing that where it's just like, there's been so much taught to us that we have to be something, do something, achieve something mm-hmm. to get love. And it's like, no. And the idea yet to be perfect. And it's like everybody we genuinely love, we could list every single flaw. Mm. We don't care. Mm. None of those flaws disqualify them from love. Facts. So it's, it's helping people understand that love is realized. And, and most of the time, you know, we are being showered with love, but we don't know how to receive it. You know, people can't receive compliments, let alone genuine love. Mm. And, you know, Ooh. learning, you know, like, like shit, Kendrick Lamar, Father Time. That's what that, yes. that whole song is about. Like, everything my dad taught me just made it harder for me to connect with people, you know? And it's that same kind of concept, mm. you know, learning about attachment styles, learning about all of these important things. And, and, and again, so this book is, is, is science-backed, but, like, it's philosophically backed as well because you start to see how they all, they all connect. Yeah. And, you know realizing that we are such a product of, of things being sold for somebody else's benefit. Mm. And that's why we do the things we do. You know, that's why we posture in the ways we posture. And that's why, you know, for some communities, it's, it's wearing, you know, uh, off-white Nikes. And then for other communities, it's wearing ostrich skin uh, you know, <laughs> fucking cowboy boots. You know, it's the same idea. Yeah, yeah, You're trying yeah, to yeah. put something out there. You know, and the conversations aren't being had. So that's this what this book is. This book is exploring love from every single angle 
Um, and the, the three main sections are like, what is love? Like what actually is So you is define love? it. Defining yeah. it. Yeah. Um, more so for what love isn't. <laughs> and <laughs> then love, love for self. The biggest yeah. section in the book is about self-love. That's a big and one. I, don't, I think people miss out on like. Well, yeah, and that sets that the tone. Yeah, that sets yeah. the tone, right? Um, and then love for others, and then love for others, not simply the romantic relationship, but like love for your family, uh, love for your coworkers, love for every like every because everything is a relationship, mm. and you know to the success and the failure of a relationship is generally the same principles whether we're talking about a work relationship whether we're talking about sharing space with somebody, whether we're talking about romance, whether we're talking about being a grandparent, whether we're talking about being an uncle, being a parent. Mm. It's always the same thing. And we just have certain habits and, and, and beliefs around us that are just closing, path, closing pathways of love between us and other people. Humble the poet, man. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that's humble the poet. Uh, thank you for joining us for being like my first guest on this iteration of what we do. Like I we pod, but this is the first time we're doing on the one. So like I, I don't know if anybody's really going to top in this this type of content that we just. Uh, no, I appreciate it, man. Um, your book is coming out December what day? Twenty seventh. December twenty seventh. So after yeah. Christmas, uh, when you're getting ready to go Boxing Day shopping. Yeah, apparently it's after <laughs> Christmas when yeah when, when you got all your money from Christmas, but also um, trying to reframe how people spend the New Year. Mm, get right before the yeah. the whole uh, what is it called the resolutions yeah. and all of that. People yeah, make yeah. a bunch of resolutions that they break in a week. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So when people uh, are yeah. in, in in the mood to repent. Yeah, <laughs> and I'll appreciate no, yeah. you, man. No, for sure, bro. This has been awesome, man. Thank you for joining us.